to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. I've been doing this podcast since September of 2012, and boy, are my lips tired. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Jody Lynn Craven is uh, off today. She has a special event. She has a wedding in her in her uh, universe today, and she is, uh, I believe she's actually the matron of honor and, and the MC. so she's quite busy, but she'll be back next week. Uh, but we are not bereft. We are not left a sea, you know, drifted sea, trying to figure out what to do because we have a guest joining us today. And what's cool about this guest is he was actually referred to us by another guest. You may, you may remember Peter George was on the program when, a couple months ago, something like that. And uh, after he got off, he, he loved the, being on the program. He enjoyed the conversation. He said, you know, I, I can think of somebody who might be good for this. And that somebody is joining us today. His name is David, I should say, Dr. David Petrove. He is he is uh, a PhD. We, just, we were just talking about it. He has a PhD in education. But this is a guy who has made a career out of helping people deal with, well, their careers and of career change and specifically what happens when you lose a job and how do you deal with all the stuff that surrounds it? I mean, there, there are lots of people. He, I saw this on a, a piece that he wrote on a, a book on the Amazon website. He talked about how there are lots and lots of courses about you know how to get your resume in shape and how to get the new job and so forth. But there's almost nothing about how do you deal with the emotional and mental and even the physical toll of dealing with the job loss. And he's really right about that. So that's the niche he, he worked with uh, for quite some time. And uh, he's actually here today to also talk about a book that is more recently published. I, I, I didn't write the whole thing down. Ponderings was the one that I picked up because that's, that really is like the main title. What's the full title, David? So it's Ponderings, Daily Reflections for Inspiration and Transformation. Okay, there you go. See, right from the author. I mean, how, how much more could you ask for right there? So first of all, Welcome. Thank you for joining me on the program today. This is a kind of an unusual situation because it was, it's a friend of a friend situation. We like that. That's good. Um, but uh, give us give us like a three minute potted biography. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, humble beginnings back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. And that, that's where I was born and was raised and lived there till I was almost 30 and then took a leap of faith, was offered a job all the way in the Southwest in Arizona. Ooh. I know. And so I packed up my car, had a moving van that was following me <laughs> and had never been further West in terms of driving than the Pennsylvania, Ohio border. That was it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. There's a bit of a so, difference there. <laughs> now I'm going to really date myself because we did not have, you know, MapQuest, Google Maps, anything like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. So I had what was called a triptych. Oh, I um, remember those. Yes, yes from AAA. From okay? AAA, yeah. Those are and great. It, I love those. Yes, it was a printed set of directions right. for how to get from Pittsburgh to Tucson. Right. And God forbid if you made a mistake, which I did, <laughs> which goes to show how the law of attraction works because somewhere around St. Louis, I made a wrong turn. Uh-oh. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't say, you know, that it's going to recalculating route. Right, right. There's no series day. Make a U-turn. What what do I do now? Right. Uh, Because I'm traveling all by myself. And I happened to, uh, not literally, but I ran into a policeman who was directing traffic and said, oh, all you do is go down this road and make a right and you're back on the highway that you're supposed to be on. 
Uh-huh. That is the universe taking care of us. Yeah, that's true. So I, I moved to Tucson, lived there for 22 years, uh, retired from a position there. And again, law of attraction is not in my life in terms of a, a definite understanding of what it is. Moved to California. Someone that I met, and it was, you're going to say, well, accidentally, but nothing is by accident, right, Walt? <laughs> well, he, there, there's no such thing as a mere coincidence. There are right. coincidences. They just start here. Right. And so he directed me toward a church that he said, well, I think this might be something that you could be interested in. Hmm. And it was based on the law of attraction. Okay. So about 20 years ago, I was introduced to this whole concept of, you know, what you think is what you get. I mean, that's boiling down what the law of attraction is. Sure. And so I, I learned all about it. And then as a result of that, I started actually facilitating workshops on the law of attraction. Nice. Did a number of those. Those were a lot of fun. And while I was involved with that, someone said to me, you're writing, you might want to think about writing a blog based uh -huh. on all of this. Okay. So 12 years ago in August, I wrote my first blog entry. Very cool. And that has been going on daily for the last 12 years. Now, people will say, how can you be so prolific in terms of something <laughs> new? Well, they were new every day for about seven years, six, seven That's years. That's really good. That is. Yeah. And so then I decided, you know, chances are people have probably forgotten anything that they've read about this. So I started my recycle process. Okay. And one day a week, I post a brand new entry. And then the other six days are recycled. Okay. And um, usually they're recycled after five years. So yeah, it's not yeah, hard to track that one. Yeah. No, yeah. So it's been so much fun to do. And they are posted on my website. And then, of course, in the book, what mm -hmm. I did was I took uh, 280 of the blog entries and categorized them into 10 topics. And then each of those occupies a chapter in the book. Okay. And it's a journal. Mm -hmm. it's, a, mm -hmm. it's, it's meant for people to, again, reflect for inspiration and transformation. Which is fabulous. That's yes. excellent. And so I was just right. realizing, too, I, I was just realizing something, too. I, I, we, we talked earlier, as, as I often do when I'm talking to a guest before a show, I asked for the pronunciation of your name. And what did I do? I mispronounced it. So I got to apologize for that. I said it was Petrove. It's Petrove. Come on, Walt. Just pay attention, boy. The script is right in front of you. <laughs> so, Walt, okay, if you're east of the Mississippi, they're going to identify with Petrove. That's true. And mm -hmm. anyone west of the Mississippi, when I moved out to Arizona, I became so tired of correcting the pronunciation. I just went along with Petrove. You just went along with it. <laughs> I just said, what the heck? You know? So I got it right both ways. That's cool. <laughs> oh, and then the other thing I dealt with was misspelling it. Oh, yeah. Yes. I worked in a school for 22 years. Do you think they would get the spelling of my name correct? Well, they go they, to school to learn how to spell, so I'm guessing no. <laughs> yeah, so they love to put V-E-Y at the end of it. And I said to them, okay. Walt, I'm willing to change the pronunciation, but I'm not willing to change the spelling. Come on, guys. <laughs> learn to spell my name correctly. 
I understand completely. I, my, my name has an H in it that isn't pronounced, so I totally get it. The, the pronunciations and the spellings can get pretty pretty wild, to say the least. Sure. So that's, <laughs> that's a brief rundown of how I got from then to now. Nice. Very cool. So, okay, I think we have the lay of the land here. Now, you got to tell us a little bit about what you've been doing with helping people with careers. So I did mention that part. Right. Particularly with what happens when, when they become unemployed. That That's a pretty big deal of what you were doing. So talk about that for a moment. Sure, I'll talk about that. Um, it was interesting. When I was an educator, one of my roles was as a career counselor. Hmm. And they actually created the position for me based upon the graduate work I was doing at the University of Arizona. Yeah. And so I had the wonderful privilege of creating a program from scratch, Walter. Ooh, that's fine. No one filled that position before me. So they, they said, go for it. And I put it together. Now, the interesting thing about it was all of my students that I worked with because of my first training in my master's, they were all blind or visually impaired. So I worked in schools for the blind across the country. Okay. And so I was able to put together something that was not only practical for a sighted person, but had to take into account, how would I adapt this for someone who was blind? Right. And that was a challenge and I loved it. And so I put together this program where I, I did a lot of job sampling. So when they were doing, let's say, learning about clerical jobs, mm-hmm. I put together a rotation of learning stations where they just went from one type of job to another. So for 10 minutes, they did filing. For, uh-huh. for 10 minutes, they did receptionist. Okay. So they had a taste of all these different types of jobs. Then my other challenge was, in my role, I had to place every one of the students who was graduating into an actual job placement so that they would get a sense of what they might be interested in. Would that actually work for them? And for a number of them, it led to permanent jobs. Did it really? That's great. So I do stay in touch with my students. And I was telling someone that this morning that the earliest student that I work with in terms of age will be turning 70 this year. Wow. (laughs) Wow. So it's, it's been a long history of working with students. And, um, remember they're blind and visually impaired. I have one young lady working on a doctorate right now. Very nice. So they work in the fields of computers, just all different types of jobs. So Mm -hmm. that's what got me started in this whole area. Now, that being said, when you have someone who's out of work, Mm -hmm. as you pointed out, it's tough for them. One of my clients said that she was just laid off and she's working with an agency within the company to help her to find something else. Right. And she's dealing with the aftermath of losing that job. Yeah. And what he tells her is, get over it. Just get over it. You know, go out there. Oh, sure. It's so easy. Come on. Get your next job. (laughs) And she said, I'm not ready for that yet. He can help me with that piece. But, David, what you're going to have to help me with is regaining my self-confidence. And that is is the biggest one that I've heard, Walt. So that is one of the chapters in the book called 
um, life between jobs out of work, not out of worth. Mm. Because yeah. people in this country, their worth is determined by what they do. Very often. Right. Yes. So in working with various groups, I saw these common threads. So dealing with self-confidence, dealing with um, commitment, acceptance, resilience, and perseverance. So these were the themes that came through. And so I developed a book that had exercises in it. That's the teacher part of me. So we're not going to just talk about it. You have to take an active role in this. So in, let's say, self-confidence, what are your strengths? How do people know you? And what are your stories around success? Mm -hmm. So those, those are activities within that chapter. And they go through all the other chapters. And at the very end, we have a chapter for, and this is often left out, the support group for these people. So if you have a spouse, okay, and you've lost your job, it gives suggestions to the spouses along with ac activities for them. How can you improve your active listening with someone who has lost their job? Yeah. So all of that is taken into consideration. That's really good. I like that. And, and as I was listening to you just now, and also as I was reading your materials earlier, it occurred to me. If you've lost a job, you obviously you're trying to get an interview or multiple interviews to get the next job. And if your self-confidence has taken a hit, it can be harder to pass that interview because if you, oh. if you don't have the self-confidence, that's going to come through. I mean, the employer is going to pick up on that. He or she may not know why they're picking up on it, but they'll pick up on it and it'll work against you. Right. And then the other piece of that with the self-confidence is that whole section on acceptance. Yeah going through the grieving process. I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time discussing this as a loss. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about the interview process. Two of the stages of grief are anger and depression. Sure. So imagine taking those two sets of feelings in or either one of them into an interview. This yeah. is where if you haven't resolved the anger, you sit in that interview and you're just lambasting your former employer. Because mm -hmm. you haven't dealt with the anger. Yeah, that's going to work real well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then depression is going to show up in your energy level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people are going to say, I don't know what's going on here. It doesn't feel right. Right. So we're going to pass over you and we'll find someone who's in probably a better space. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you just hit the nail right on the head. It also occurs to me, too, from the way you were describing it earlier, what you were really doing when you were working with people is you were actually teaching them how the law of attraction works without talking about the law of attraction. That's right. And, and again, part of that comes from identifying what's your ideal job. Mm. Okay. And I will have people write a job description. And I said, right. after you've written the job description, you're going to go out and that job is going to be pretty much there <laughs> in totality or the majority of it. And they will do that. That happened to me. When I was dissatisfied with the position I had, my career professor at the University of Arizona had me do that exercise. Mm -hmm. Just write it down. What are all the aspects of this job that you would like to have? Wrote them out thinking, oh, I'm going to have to travel all the way across the country 
in order to get a job like this? Well, it turned out, Walt, that everything that was on the list turned out to be where I was currently working. All I had to do was transfer departments. <laughs> I love it. Yep. That is funny. It's fun, too. It's amazing, too, how powerful that writing process is. I, one of my favorite ways to talk about the writing process is in regard to primary relationships. Um, so many, particularly women tend to do this more than men, but so many women I've met, including my wife, by the way, um, make a list of all the ideal characteristics of their ideal mate. And then when they actually meet someone and they pull out the list, yep, check that one, check. Check, mm -hmm. check, 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 all the way down the page, the entire list. Over and over again, I'm hearing this story. The entire list got met. And, and so when you said they, they get all or most of the characteristics that they write about their ideal job, I, I want to ask this question. How many of them actually get the whole thing? I suspect a lot of them do. They come pretty close. Um, what I talk about is your five non-negotiables. Okay. So those are, would be at the top of the list. I think the same would hold true if you were looking for a relationship. Mm -hmm. Some of them you'd say, well, yes, I'd like that, but it's not at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. I could live without having that. So, okay, my partner is six foot two instead of six foot four. I could live with that. I see. Okay. Yeah. So the, the specifics you have to, of course, be flexible. Um, there's a term, as I'm sure you've discussed in your programs called outlining. Mm. So outlining means you are so specific that there's no flexibility. Mm -hmm. So you could get of a hundred different descriptors, you might get 99 and they say, but that one's missing. So sorry, that's not going to do it. So outlining means um, I want to be a millionaire. And the only way I can do that is by winning the lottery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's telling the universe how it is to deliver what you're asking for. Which is capable of doing. I just can't guarantee it's going to happen anytime soon. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah. It, yes, it could happen. Are you willing to wait? Yeah. How long are you willing to wait? If you wait long enough, it'll happen. That's it's just, true. Yeah. Uh, maybe you know, 150 years. <laughs> oh, that's it. And that's the other thing. Uh, when I would hear people say, you can be whatever you want to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's say one of my students, okay, um, had cognitive challenges, wanted to be a doctor. Mm. And the psychologist said, you can do whatever you want, be whatever you want. My response to that was, yes, that's true. Given an infinite amount of time, yes, you could learn all of those fine skills that when you put them together, they look like a doctor. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to wait for that to happen? Are you willing to work for all that? And that's going to be a lot of work. That's right. That's right. I mean, for, for even somebody without cognitive dis disabilities, that's a big challenge, becoming a doctor. Right. Especially a medical doctor. I mean, right. any kind of doctorate. Because, yeah, well, you, you're, you're a PhD. You know what it's like to get a doctorate. But it, but especially an MD, I mean, the amount that they have to endure is, is incredible. Add in cognitive difficulties and, oh, now you just amped it up about 10 times over. Whew. Right. Right. So that individual, you know, based upon a gentle guiding, um, has a job that he's been working at for years and seems to be very happy. It's very far removed from mm -hmm. being, a, being a doctor. 
Which but, raises an interesting question, and, and this is going to tie into something that you also mentioned a few moments ago. You you mentioned that when someone uh, loses a job and they're they're they've lost their self confidence or or they're not feeling confident, um, that one of the things they need to do is they need to put together their stories about their accomplishments, about what what's you know what what they've done well in life and so forth. And as we know here on the podcast, the stories that we tell ourselves are are nearly as important, perhaps even more important than the stories we tell others. So that that's a really important important exercise that you have them do because what you're really doing is saying stop putting all of your attention all these things that are going wrong including having lost your job and start focusing your attention on what goes right so you get a better result so i guess the question that i have that comes out of that is when you when you teach these people to tell these stories to first of all remember the stories and then construct them and start telling them more frequently what kinds of results have you gotten out of that well the way that i use it walt is I, my request is, I want you to tell me a story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll get one sentence. Yep. To me, that's not a story. That's really, an introduction no. to a story. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, there's no right or wrong here. It's your story. I can't go through and critique it and say, no, that didn't happen for you. You just need to take ownership of it. Mm-hmm. When they're willing to write at least a paragraph, if not more, I use it as an opportunity to go through and begin to identify skills and traits. Sure. So tenacity, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about specific skills like writing skills mm-hmm. um, and maybe computer related skills. And then we begin to create a profile yes. based on that and to say, have you ever thought about using what you've given me? in this way and oftentimes they'll say no because they can't see the forest for the trees <laughs> so um it's it's a great opportunity for them to also focus on success yes because remember when you lose a job that's probably not your focus right when, and, when you lost the job you probably felt like you were a failure exactly that's yeah. what a lot of people will do and in this day and age it has many times very little to do with being a failure it's oftentimes you're not a good match mm-hmm. for what this company is looking for so we talk about company cultures as part of this mm-hmm. and once they begin to look at their successes you know there's the old saying success builds on success right and so that's what we keep focusing on is you've done this before you've been successful mm-hmm You've just lost track of that, given what's happened in your life today. I um, I mentioned to you before we got started here how uh, my wife and I both lost our businesses in 2008. We were able eventually to resurrect her business. It's a gardening service business that we run to this day. Uh, my wife is pretty much retired from it, but I, I run the day-to-day of it. And uh, this past season, during this season, we're still in the middle of the season, I actually had to let somebody go who wasn't working out on the staff. Um, it was clear he was not into it. He was not enjoying the work at all. And so he was very unproductive. And so I had to let him go. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a, it was a tough situation because of that. It's never fun to, to let an employee go. It may not seem that way from the employee's perspective, but from the employer's perspective, I can tell you it, it's not a fun thing to, to let somebody go. But even so, I had to do that. And after, uh, of course, we, we issued tools to them. So I had to get the tools back and all that stuff. And, and I got the tools back and he was just getting ready to go. I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. I said, when we interviewed 
you told me that uh, this is a summer job for you, which was fine, um, and that your your real love was to do marketing. I'm curious to know, what is it you love about marketing? And he instantly brightened up and he said, well, I, I get to be creative in marketing. And he, he talked a moment about why that was so important. I said, have you applied for any marketing jobs this summer? He says, no, I'm going to do that next year. And I said, why are you waiting? And he just kind of stopped. And I said, don't go for a job because of the money. Go for the job because you love it. And he totally changed his, his disposition, reached out his hand, shook my hand, said, thank you very much for that advice, and walked away a different person. Mm -hmm. All because I reminded him of what he loved. And there will be people, um, some of them that I've spoken to, Walt, when I ask them that question, they honestly answer, I don't know. Mm. Oh, yeah. That was me. That, yeah. you know, and, I, and I uh, think, oh. whoa. Yeah. There's, and so I have to take them back to their childhood and say, I want you to think about when you were a child, what was it that you enjoyed doing where time was never an issue? You know, and some activity, because oftentimes our passion is rooted in what we arrived with in terms of natural inclinations. And so once I can get that out of them, then we can start that process. I know for myself, one of them was uh, I had a cousin and we would go and visit her and we would always play school. Hmm. Now, I was never the teacher. I was always the student. Okay? <laughs> <was> the student. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I thought, okay, how did that play out? Yeah. Well, I, I remember when I retired, I said to people, I've probably been in school longer than you've been alive. <laughs> so, and that was the truth. I said, okay, you know, think about when I started school in the early fifties and when I graduated uh, with my PhD in 2008, yeah, that's a lot of years in between of yeah. being in the classroom. Right. So I thought, huh, I guess in a way that fit that I enjoyed being the student. Yeah, not necessarily the teacher. And, and look how I ended up. It makes total sense to me on a number of different levels, including the fact that I think the most satisfying lives are the ones where people continue to want to learn. And, and you had a very direct route on that one because you, you directly associated it with school. But really, it can be in almost any way. I mean, the, I, I had a conversation. I was doing an interview today. I interviewed somebody for a position. He really wasn't right for the job. But really interesting guy in the sense that this guy just dives in and learns things. He wants to, it's stuff that he's never seen before. This guy had just started doing gardening in the last few years and, and I was interviewing him from a gardener job. He really didn't have enough experience for what, what we wanted to do. But how did he do it? Well, he started with his backyard and it was all, you know, just jungle of, of weeds and so forth. And he just spent two years just cleaning the whole thing up. And then he said, okay, I'm going to try to do some stuff. And he went to the nursery and he bought a bunch of plants and he planted them and didn't like them and ripped them all out and found some more and learned about them. And, and it's just been one continuous learning process for him. He just loves the process of learning gardening. And it's not just gardening. He was telling us about a whole series of business ideas, things that he's pursued. He, he has pursued plumbing. He's pursued construction. He's pursued a, a whole range of things. And, and he just can't stop doing it because he loves all the learning. So there's a great example of somebody who just lives for learning. And for myself, when it came to the books, 
I never saw myself as an author. Mm. And uh, when I was in college, I had an experience my freshman year where, and hopefully not too many people can identify with this one, we were given an assignment the first day of my freshman English class. I did the best job I could, Walt, okay, in doing that assignment. So the next week when we, after we turned it in, the next week we went into class, there were about 30 students in the class. She puts my paper up. How did I know it was my paper? It had my name on it. Mm -hmm. And with a big red F saying to everyone in the class, let me show you how not to write a paper. Ouch. That hurt. Yes. Ouch. And so I dragged that around with me for quite a while. Yeah. And then I realized at some point that was only her opinion. Right. Now, did she go back and say, you know, David, here's what you could do to write better. No, it was only a critique of what we did. Mm -hmm. None of it was ever um, done in a way where you were going to improve on a skill. Right. It was all tear you down. Right. And I thought, okay, that was her opinion. And then I remember taking a a graduate class as part of my doctoral program, and I get my paper back. It was on asthma. And it was all marked up, Walt, in green. And it was all positive comments. Wow. And he said, this is so good, you need to have it considered for publishing. Wow. Two different opinions about the same task. Yeah. So there's where we have to look at the messages that we're receiving and what we do to internalize them. I think we also need to look at the messages that we're giving too. Oh, yes. You just gave two excellent examples. One person who really doesn't get it and another person who really does get it. There's such a tremendous value in finding a way to help somebody without tearing them apart yes, and actually building them up in the process. And that's what I love about the career counseling and coaching. Mm. It's building those people up. Yeah. Saying you have options. You can do this. And getting them to believe in themselves. Mm. I believe in them initially. Well, that's what a good coach does, right? A good coach believes in, in the person they're coaching. That's part of how they get them there. Right. They just have to be willing to stick with it. I have too many people who quit early on. Mm. They don't give themselves the chance for whatever reason. Why do you think that is? I think part of it is they think they're going to get an easy answer Uh that's going to require very little effort on their part. That could be, sure. I had one lady come in and she said, well, I want a job in communications because I think I'm good at communicating. Mm Mm-hmm. I said, well, that opens up a couple thousand jobs as far as far as options go. Sure. We need to be more specific. No, I expect that I'm going to tell you that I'm wanting a job where I get to communicate. And you're going to tell me when I leave here after less than an hour, where to go for that interview. <laughs> okay. That's that, an interesting and I thought, well, <laughs> again, you know, People need to have realistic expectations Mm. that if they don't think they have to do the work involved, they're going to be disappointed. Now, it's possible 
that she could have gone out in the very first place that she went to hired her, but not likely. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, well, and again, it reminds me about what we know about how the law of attraction works because you need to, and this ties in directly to the, what you would teach your students who would hang around long enough to learn it. Um, that you have to take the time to really focus your attention on not just what it is that you want, but what the details of it are. You need to turn it into something real in your own mind because if you don't turn it into something real in your own mind, it can't come true. That's it, true. It, it, it just becomes a, a sort of a stillborn idea that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and especially if you don't tie in the emotional factor as well and get all excited about it and, you know, get into the, the feeling of it actually being alive, so to speak, yeah, it, it's, it's just an abstraction at that point. So basically all you're trying to do is, is attract an abstraction. Right. When you attract an abstraction, what, you're, what are you going to get? You're going to get an abstraction. You're not going to get anything real. Well, I tell people a dream without a plan is just a dream. Mm-hmm. You have to have action. Yes. Attached. Because if I say to people, if you look at the law of attraction, a big part of the word attraction is action. Mm-hmm. So what are you willing to do to yeah. get there? Not that it's impossible to attract without action, but boy, it's a whole lot easier. <laughs> it's a whole lot faster. That's right. That's right. It's, it's possible to attract a million dollars sitting on your couch, but not only will it likely take a long time, it's going to be a really boring wait while you're waiting for it. <laughs> Why not go out and do something about it? <laughs> that, that's right. And I just talked to someone last night who was talking about becoming a veterinarian's technician. Oh, okay. And she says, well, you know, I'm going to be turning 55. And I don't know if at this point in my life I want to do that. So, well, that's always your choice. Yeah. But think of it. You're going to be 55 either with or without that certificate. Right. And which would be better serving you? And she thought about it and said, oh, probably if I went forward and did it. And I said, with all of your experience, you should be able to move through the coursework almost effortlessly. And she said, oh, I never looked at it that way. And again, those are self-limiting beliefs. Yes. And so much about what doesn't work for the law of attraction are all those self-limiting beliefs Mm. that will counter the effectiveness of how it works. And then they say, see, it doesn't work. Well, truly, you didn't have the confidence in it Mm. that it would work. Whenever I've done that, like the home that I live in now, A year ago, I was living in Redwood City, California, Mm. and had been looking to move for 16 years to get out of there. And nothing was showing up. Nothing was showing up. I kept saying, there's a reason. There's a reason. All of a sudden, I'm in Europe. I get a message from the realtor that says, there is a buyer for your place in Redwood City because it wasn't moving with COVID. And then all of a sudden, the dream home opens up in Bend, Oregon. And as soon as it opens up, Walt, we're told, sorry, someone's already put in an offer. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, if it's meant to be, it will be. Mm. Turns out, sell the house in Redwood City, move to Bend the next day we see the home that we're living in today because the person who put in the offer backed out and Uh they didn't have time to put it back on the market. Nice. And here we are living in our dream home. That's beautiful. 
that's by the, the way, way I, I know Bend, Oregon, by the way. I, I oh, used to live in Oregon for about a year and, and I, I actually did some selling around Bend, Oregon, so I know okay. your town. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a dream home. Biggest home I've ever lived in came in at an entirely affordable rate and it's just perfect. So Very you can nice. have it all. Yeah. If yeah. you believe it. And and belief, the other word that goes along with belief is trust. I know because that's a word that I've, I've spent a lot of time on myself because I have had over the years a lot of issues with trust. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on myself in a number of different ways, including anyone who's followed this podcast for any amount of time knows just by listening the various ways I've worked on that particular issue. And that trust it's almost, it's one of those things that we kind of associate with belief. Yeah, belief, trust, they kind of go together. They're actually a little bit different. Trust is a little bit different in that trust is often belief without obvious evidence. Belief can be built with or without evidence. But trust requires, in order for it to be true trust, it requires building the belief without the evidence. So it's a, I guess you might say it's a special case of belief. And in that special case, it's actually the tougher one. Because it's it's easy to believe in the car that's standing that's you know sitting on the ground in front of you. It's harder to believe in the car that you don't actually see there. Right. So that's where the trust aspect comes into it. And along with trust comes patience. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I know for myself I've struggled with. I want it and I want it now. Yeah. Sure. I don't want to wait twenty years for nope. it. But when it shows up, then you get to see why it took so long. Mm-hmm. This home was not available mm-hmm. when I, you know, was first thinking about moving. Everything had to fall into place. You know, the stars aligning. Right, right. And there it was. That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Something else I want to ask you about too, uh, because we were talking earlier about what it takes to find your passion, and you and you gave some ideas about how you recommend that people do that by kind of digging into their their early years and so forth and and discovering what was there all along that they hadn't really noticed. One of the things I've I've learned over time and I've come to advocate, I'm curious to know what your take is on it, is trying things. I'm thinking, for instance, of the guy I interviewed today. He just keeps trying different things and he likes bits of this, he likes bits of that, he just keeps trying and trying and trying. For the longest time I didn't try things. I, I would pick one thing and I'd just go to do it until you know I was burned out and and toast and you know gasping for air on the pavement. Whereas when I finally learned the value of just trying things, even if you try them for five minutes, it makes the whole process of finding my passion easier. That's what I found. So I'm curious to know what your take is on trying things. Well, again, as I pointed out with those students that I had, a lot of that class was just them trying things mm-hmm. and then saying, oh, I'd like that. No, I wouldn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways that I look at life is just being open to possibility. Yeah. And uh, with this, the books that I've written, one area that I've had to develop is marketing. Oh, yeah. And, yeah oh, boy. Talk about the need to try. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I've been I, actually, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a coach that's helping me. And I will tell you, I don't approach this with open arms. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, okay, what's the smallest step I can take <laughs> to try this out? Right. And... I know that I've made progress, but it's been, you know, in very short segments, that mm-hmm. progress. But yeah. I, again, it's that perseverance. You know, the, the idea that I'm going to go so far with this. 
And if I decide that it's really not something that I want to pursue, as you said, I can say I tried it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, also, as you're telling me the story here, you're reminding me of a friend of mine um, who is also an author. He, he's the author of the book called The Last Law of Attraction Book You'll Ever Need to Read, which is a very ballsy title if you think about it. Mm -hmm. um, his name is Andrew Ka Kaplan. He writes under the name Andrew Cap. And uh, he was telling me one time uh, at a special event that I had, he was as part of the interview, he was saying um, how he handles that little one step at a time, one little thing that I can do right now. And how he has turned that into a dramatically successful book, because the book, I, I think he just reached it. I'm not sure if he's just reached it or he's almost there. Last I heard, he was around 95,000. He's almost had 100,000 copies sold. Mm -hmm. And when I asked him how he did it, he said, I wake up every morning and I always answer at least one email. And I try to make one phone call. I try to respond to one person asking for help and one person asking for advice, and one person asking for support. I just try to do one little thing at a time. And you do that over and over and over again. And one step at a time, you get to the point where you sold 100,000 copies. Mm -hmm. Yep, I have on my book, um, I, I went to Office Depot and bought gold stickers. Mm. And I put one of these on my book, and it says, over 1 million copies sold. Ah, okay. Okay. And I thought, why not? Sure. Other other people sell a million copies. And I will tell you, those self-limiting beliefs, boy, they were working overtime. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, who do you think you are? This is the first time you've ever written a book and you're not J.K. Rowling. And, you're, and I thought, <laughs> whoa, turn that <laughs> off in my head, right? But it's also important to listen to what those self-limiting beliefs are and mm. challenge them. Talk about that. That that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, it's it's the idea that, for instance, you say, um, "I could never be a a, a best-selling author." Mm -hmm. Now, one word you can add to that: I cannot be a best-selling author yet. Mm -hmm. Sure. I always add the word "yet," and so, all right, just like your friend does, um, what can I do today? Mm. Uh, being on the podcast is a way of talking about the books that I've written. Sure. Um, I'm for the next three days, I'm going to be involved in a marketing training that will help me to learn more about how to do this mm -hmm. because we often think that, well, I don't have the experience. So there's this void and then the fear sets in. Okay. Yes. I could never do that. Well, Maybe you can, maybe you can't. And I'll be honest with you, Walt, there are, there are things that I can't do, okay? For just because of my age, I just can't do them. <laughs> but I recognize that and say, if I could do it, I'd probably try it. And believe me, there are some things also that I've done where I thought someone my age did this. When we were in uh, Moria for my 70th birthday, we... We're on an ATV going up the mountain, the tallest oh, wow. mountain on the island. Wow. There are no guardrails. Yeah. Okay. We went all the way to the top and came back and they said, how old are you guys? <laughs> and we said, in our 70s, they were in their 30s. Wow. And so we were doing the things that they were doing. Nice. And yeah. Now, would I do it again? Maybe yes, maybe no. But I tried it. You tried it. Yeah. And survived. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, okay, this is what you need to think about. 
is how you can counter those limiting beliefs. What would I need to do differently? What success have I had in something similar to this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I can draw upon? And the other one is, and I was just talking about this on yesterday's podcast with someone, you don't have to do it alone. You know, there are people around you who can support you in achieving your goals. It's interesting you say that because, and it's also tied in directly to what I mentioned a moment ago, how I used to sell in Bend, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Well, the company I was working for was the company owned by W. Clement Stone, the famous uh, advocate of uh, success systems and, and positive thinking from you know, the 20th century. And when I was working for his company, I barely knew what he taught. I didn't know anything about law of attraction. I didn't understand really how positive thinking worked. I, I mean, I'd heard about it. It sounded like a good idea, but I really didn't know. And here I was trying to sell, he was selling, it was an insurance policy. I was trying to sell his insurance policies. And I had a very definite, very strong limiting belief based on a lack of self-confidence that was very, very deep. But I managed after we, 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 you go through this training the way they used to do it. It was, it's kind of like going to an Amway convention. You have this big hall and they're, you know, they're, they're rah-rahing you and getting you all built up and so forth. And then they give you some training and they teach you how to, to do the presentation and they hand you the materials and they send you out and okay, you're going to go do this route. So I went out the first day and I made more sales than anybody else on the team. Mm-hmm. Now you would have thought that would have given me the confidence to keep going. Absolutely not. Because my limiting beliefs, I had no knowledge of limiting beliefs. I didn't know what a limiting belief was. I had no clue how any of this stuff worked. I didn't know, understand how any of it, how the positive thinking worked, what you do when you run into adversity. I had no training on any of it. And it turned out neither did they. So when I was asking for help, they couldn't help me. And I was racking my brain trying to understand because from that day on, I never sold another policy. I didn't understand why I had been able to go out the first day, sell more than anybody else and never sell again. Now, there was a thing you could do. You could renew existing policies, and I made a little money that way for a while. But that just, you know, you couldn't support yourself on that. So I ended up uh, losing the job. And it took me years to understand what was I supposed to do different. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I didn't know why I screwed up. And all it came down to was I didn't really believe I could do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't really believe it. Yeah, because they, they've done studies on successful salespeople. And what they found is the ones who were successful were the ones who, in spite of the no's, mm-hmm. went for the next yes. Right, exactly. Which was the one thing they did, they did try to teach me that. It didn't help at all, but they, they did try to teach that part. <laughs> yeah, and part of it is, well, when I got those yeses, what exactly was I doing? Mm. You know, is there someone who could give me the feedback, just like that gentleman, that professor who wrote all those green comments on that one paper? Right. Yeah. And it's like, okay, he explained why it was a quality paper. Mm-hmm. So it, it, again, it's giving people that that feedback that they need to say you're on the right track. Yeah. And just because it works once well. That's not enough of a track record for many no. people to no. continue it. It certainly wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember at the time wishing that I had somebody who could explain stuff like that to me, who could help me understand what was going on and why I was having so many difficulties with it. And they tried. My the, my sales manager, he tried to work with me. He tried to help. He didn't have the tools. 
he didn't have the the knowledge that that he really needed to have in order to help me get past it. But he he did try his hardest, and. I think all I really needed at that point in time, I even, I did voice it at one point, but I was so timid about it. I didn't dare push it too hard. All I needed was for somebody to just kind of walk me through it. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just go out there and just do it with me. But when I voiced that, they poo pooed it and I lost confidence in pushing forward any further. And so I, I, I mean, it was a, a one day thing and I was done with it. Like I, I can't push that one anymore. So I don't know what else to do. And from yeah. that point on, I was in a very negative mindset and, What's going to happen when you're in a negative mindset? It, nothing. It's not going to work. <laughs> right. And, and it is working on some level. Yes. Because if you're, if that's your belief that it's not going to work for you, you're never disappointed. The universe doesn't disappoint you. It's just how it delivers it is in alignment with, with what you believe. Yeah. That, that's what disappointed me. I was, I wasn't getting the result, but I was, wasn't disappointed in the sense that it was delivering exactly where I was focused. Right. And the other side that people lose sight of, Walt, is that as a result of that, it brought you to where you are today. Yeah, that's the other thing. And that's been a major theme here on the podcast for all the years I've been doing it. People who experienced failures or disappointments or frustrations or just crash and burns of various kinds. And while they would never want to go through them again, my God, they learned more from that than anything else they've ever done in their lives. Over and over and over again, the same story. And I tell people, I don't have failures. I just have lots of learning experiences. Okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's all how you look at it, right? That's right. It's how you look at it. Because nothing about life is a failure. It's just a way, like we were talking about with your GPS. Mm -hmm. You have to recalculate the route. That's right. Based upon the new information. Yeah, actually, it led me to do a podcast. Yeah, that's right. Because among other things, I went through enough of these failures. I wanted to know how it happened, why it happened, what I could do about it. And in the process of learning all that, I realized I also wanted to transmit the information to other people. Mm -hmm. Now, if you had asked me back in my 20s when I was in Oregon trying to do this stuff, if that was my goal, I would have given you like a cross-eyed look like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So there's no way I could have planned it. There's right. no way I could have anticipated. And I certainly, if you had asked me that, if that was going to be my passion, I would have laughed out loud. I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> There's no way that's my passion. Well, also, generationally, we didn't come from a background where parents talk to their children about that. No. They didn't, well, was, they didn't know what to say. No, because uh, talking to both of my parents who are, have been deceased for a while, about what they wanted in life. Mm-hmm. Oh, talk about a painful subject, Walt. Oh, I get it. Because get it. neither parent who had the potential ever found themselves in positions that allowed them to exercise that potential. My and mom, had, a, my mom took wait. it to an extreme in that I realized at the end of her life, she still didn't even know what she wanted to do in life. Yes. I mean, that practically broke my heart. Oh, I know. And I found it very difficult for them to accept where I was going educationally Mm. because it was so far removed from what their reality was. Yeah. And they saw me almost as a stranger in terms of, of where I was in my life. Now, I never presented it as, oh, I have a PhD and I'm so much better than you are. Right. Uh, it was just the 
listening to the stories and the sadness mm. that was uh, associated with that. Yeah. Very painful. And I'm hoping that as generations progress, there's less and less of that happening. And your I personally is- see it. I, I think you probably see it every day. I see it a lot more now than I did, say, 20 years ago. Yes. And, you know, I work with so many young women where in my in our generation, okay, if you were a woman, you were a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. That was about okay? it. That was it in terms of vocation. Yep. Now these women are high-powered real estate. Oh, people. yeah. They, they're just working in, in so many different high-caliber positions that are not any of those three. Now, it's not to take away from those other three and their value. It's just the fact that there are more options that people are encouraged to pursue. And they talk about glass ceilings. I've seen more glass ceilings broken in my lifetime than I knew existed. Just amazing. Yes. Which is very encouraging. I love that part, too. Yeah. It's really good. I'm I'm enjoying this conversation a lot. I I think you are, too. Um, We we have a few minutes left. uh, but I, I just wanted to, to throw out there that I, I'm enjoying it so much, partly because I'm reminded of my own path, my own journey to get to where I am right now. This has really been hitting me on a number of different points that I experienced along the way. I suspect probably the same thing is true for listeners and, and probably for you, too, because every time you're telling your own story, you're, you're kind of revisiting stuff that you experienced. I, I think one of, one of the things I want to really point out right now is our perspective at this side of the journey is so much different than the perspective we have on the other side of the journey. When we're first starting or we're in the middle of it, especially when we deal with these uh, non-failure failures, when we deal with these crisis points and so forth, they, they certainly aren't fun. When we're in the middle of them, oh, my God, it's like the end of the world. But when we look back, we say, wow, a lot came out of that. I can't believe how much came out of that. I look at the skills that came out of it that I never would have had before. And and that's no consolation to you when you're in the middle of it. No. Nope. None pain whatsoever. Yeah. No. The pain is still painful. But it's just, it, it's amazing to me how much we get out of these experiences. Well, they talk about change. And it's, we change for one of two reasons. Either the situation around us is so painful that we have to do something different. Right. Or we have some type of an epiphany mm-hmm. that says, you know, I could do things differently. Now, I would think for the majority of people, it's probably the former rather than the latter. I don't know about <laughs> that many epiphanies that take place for people. I hope. Well, some of us do both of them, actually. We do it at the same time. <laughs> right. That's right. And so I think that um, looking at that, it's accepting that this mm. is the way we move through life. Yeah. It's always, as I said, recalculating that route. And there is supposedly only one ending to that, Walt, which is a life of peace and joy and fulfillment. That would be, I would think, our goal Mm -hmm. and how we move toward that. And, you know, someone said, well, our goal is to be happy 24-7. The best definition I ever heard of happiness was when all of your needs are met, then you're happy. So guess what? As human beings, do we ever find ourselves in a situation (laughs) where all of our needs are met? 
No, because as soon as they're met, we're looking for the next level. Mm. And then that creates another goal that we work toward. Yeah. And so I think happiness is more ephemeral. We enjoy it while we have it, knowing that it's not going to last forever. I've learned to actually redefine my idea of happiness in part by doing this podcast. In fact, you saw it on the startup, uh, on the intro. I call it your daily dose of happy. And mm -hmm. I call it that for a reason. The, the, the reason that I do that, well, I was inspired to it by the teachings of Abraham Hicks, but mm -hmm. the reason I continue to do it is because I decided I needed to have a goal with every episode. And so my goal with every episode is I want me, my host, uh, my co-hosts, my guests, um, anybody listening to the live stream and all the people who listen to the podcast episode afterward to feel better after they're done listening to the episode. If that happens, then it was a successful episode. And of course that happens all the time. So we have lots and lots of successful episodes. Right. So here's the interesting paradox here. On the one hand, we're happy every single episode. Does that mean everything in our lives is happy? <laughs> and that's what's so cool about it because right. it shows you can actually be happy without always being happy. That's right. And it's recognizing it when it occurs and just, you know, just, I don't know, just filling yourself up mm. with that sensation. And I, as I was sharing that with you, I could feel it physically yeah. within me. That's nice. And we oftentimes forget about tuning in to yeah. the physicality of what we feel. Yeah. yeah. If you're getting goosebumps, talking about what you do, you're probably doing the right thing. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That's a good rule of thumb. And it's a great way to kind of wind things up here. Before we go, before we uh, finish off for the day, we got to get some info from you. All First right. of all, people who want to find out more about the book and your other book, because you have a couple books out, how do they find the books? I imagine they can be found anywhere, but just give us a little overlay on that. Um, easiest way to find them is go to Amazon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Under my name, there are three books that are listed. The ones there are the two books that are career related because one is the actual book and the other one's the accompanying workbook. Mm -hmm. And then the ponderings book, which is the journal mm -hmm. that is really focused a lot on the law of attraction. In fact, um, I reference that quite a bit and provide a bibliography at the end about the many books that people can read about. Nice. They give them more information if they're not well versed in it. Right. Very yep. good. I like that. And then the second question is, how do they find out more about you? How do they reach you? Like if somebody has a question or they want to talk to you, uh, maybe to find out more about your coaching or whatever, how do they find out about you? So I do have a website that is currently being revamped. Okay. <laughs> and hopefully when it goes, you go out to your other listening audience, it'll be where it's supposed to be. It's davidpetrovaycoaching.com. Okay. okay. And it talks about my services, how to get in touch with me testimonials, just a lot of information about who I am. I'm also on LinkedIn. Oh, okay. That, that's your, your primary social channel then? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. And that's what I was taught. Pick one lane that you absolutely want to be focused on and let that be your main way of traveling. Got yeah. it. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, obviously, the, the training has paid off because you're doing so well with it. But I got to thank you for taking the time to join us on the program today, sharing your insights, sharing the knowledge and experience that you've accumulated over the years. And I also want to make it a point to, to tell you something that I've been doing more and more lately, because I think it's really important. You, like so many people, reach out and touch people whom you will never see, 
whom you will never hear from, but you touch them in ways that is almost incalculable. So on their behalf, I want to thank you for the work that you've done, reaching out to these people that you'll never see and that you'll never hear from. And may I make one comment on that? Now, this is how the law of attraction works. This is what I wrote yesterday. Okay. That just came to me. If you touch the life of one other person today, you have changed the course of history. <laughs> I love it. Think about I how love powerful. it. That okay? is fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. What a great way to wrap it up. David Petrovay, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Oh, I agree, Walt. And all the best to you and your listeners. Thank you so much. And thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere, because without you, hey, we wouldn't have much of a podcast. You guys make it so special. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.